Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Just a quick reminder before you listen to this installment of the free podcast novel that the second season is just about to get started and you can contribute right now if you go to kickstarter.com slash projects slash ruins of empire. There you can contribute as little as a dollar to keep this podcast up and running. You can even reserve a signed copy of Saturnius Mons and Templum Venerus. So go to kickstarter.com, look up Ruins of Empire, and make your mark on literary history. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. After locating the lost city on Titan, the members of the Human Reconnection Project found themselves held in the city's jail below the palace. The next morning, the city's leader retrieved them from their cells and asked them to look into something strange happening at the city's mainframe. He took them to a pyramid in the center of the city where Cronus discovered something strange happening near the city's refinery complex. Vago asked for a group of the city's soldiers to investigate. Chapter 12 The domination of the corporation was so complete by the 22nd century that the CEO and his staff never foresaw war, even as a remote possibility. But looking back through the lens of history, it was inevitable. People could not be oppressed forever. Anger, resentment, and hatred mixed with a longing for freedom and self-determination and create a volatile solution. The longer a society tries to keep it contained, the more it builds. Then, all it needs is the right spark. From The Fall the Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath. Vago led five of the Houston soldiers through the forest outside the city. It was unsettling at first, trudging back into the unknown of the dense forest with the Houston's men. He couldn't recall much about how he was brought into the city, but the pieces and parts he did remember flashed in his brain like moments of a nightmarish memory long repressed. They still wore the brown coats with the collars that went up to almost their eyes. His muscles tightened whenever he looked at them. But, in practice, they were agreeable enough folk. With enough pointing and hand signals, he was able to give orders, and they followed. He even managed to learn their names in the process. Lokjo was in charge. He spoke some rudimentary English and was able to relay commands to the rest of the squad. There was Michelo. He looked to be in his late forties and was the oldest of the bunch. More than a few scars crisscrossed his wrinkled face and he walked with a slight limp. Vago reckoned he commanded a great deal of respect among the group by the way the others talked to him. He was a quiet sort, but when he spoke, the others listened. By contrast, the youngest, Michelo, could barely get a word in. He carried himself like a man who had, up to now, landed the worst jobs at any position and was looking forward to several more. Then there was Jukjo. Vigo couldn't tell if it was a quirk of the language, but Jukjo always sounded angry when he spoke. Vigo imagined that if he translated the world's most beautiful poem into the man's native tongue, it would come out like a declaration of war. Finally, there was Alyssa, the squad's lone female member. 
Vago didn't know how many women served in the Houston's army. The uniform made it hard to tell the sexes apart, but he guessed that there were few. Alyssa had the force of personality and bravado that comes from having to constantly prove one's worth in a military boys' club. She was shorter than the others, but Vago suspected that, if it came to a scrap, she would use that to her advantage. They carried the same weapons that Vago vaguely remembered from his last encounter. Long batons and bola snares weighted with four smooth white stones. Effective, no doubt, but not lethal. Not that Vega wanted anyone dead. The killing field by the spaceport was quite enough death for one mission. Still, other people always wanted him dead, so it was best to go into this conflict ready to kill, if need be. But when Vago asked the Houston for lethal arms, the leader was opposed. He said something cryptic about how his people fight Perfindulo, but do not kill them. It made Vago feel better about the conflict between the two peoples, although it didn't explain the carnage at the spaceport. It also meant that Vago was effectively on his own. Trudging through the forest underbrush, Vago remembered an old saying that said, You go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. Right now, Vago had five soldiers who were armed to capture stray cattle, not face the enemy. And up ahead was Sergeant Carr, and whatever hell he managed to raise just for this occasion. As they walked through the forest, Vago saw several smokestacks in the distance towering over the canopy. Most were belching thick clouds of some noxious-looking yellow gas. A few weren't, however, and it caused some anxiety among Vago's companions. They pointed to the empty sky above them and chattered excitedly. Vago got the impression, just from the tone of their voices, that they were witnessing the harbinger of cataclysm. They emerged from the forest and came to a gray stone wall about three meters high. One by one, Vago helped them up and then scaled the wall himself using Titan's lighter gravity to scramble up the side. Beyond that, there was another grassy open space pockmarked with boulder-sized chunks of broken concrete. The refineries were approximately 400 yards away across the grassy, ruinous landscape. As Vega walked closer, it looked like a huge steaming tangle of metal pipes, scaffolds, and towers. One could hide entire armies in its twisting folds, and any hapless fool approaching would be completely unaware. As they walked, the gas from another smokestack thinned out and disappeared. The five Titanian soldiers watched with their hands around the batons attached to their belts and a look of terror in their eyes. A gust of wind rippled through the grass that gave the area a false sense of peace. Faint hisses and clanks echoed from the refinery, regular like the beat of a heart. The refinery itself was still, nothing ducking for cover, nothing darting around the corner or lurking under pipes, just the regular timing of the machines. For a moment, Vago dared wonder if the refinery problems were just that, refinery problems. Unrelated mechanical glitches that were making everyone extra tense given the circumstances. He knelt down behind a rock and signaled for the others to do the same. He peeked his head up and watched the complex. When he was sure that it was clear, he crawled over the slab of concrete and motioned for the rest to follow. 
Once inside, the smell overwhelmed his senses. Not just the flatulent stench of petrochemicals that leaked and burst out of every pipe they passed, but the tangy metallic scent of blood and the sweet rot of decay. A few dark stains on the concrete proved to Vago that the horrors of this world weren't confined to the spaceport. This place had seen more than a few. Walking through a narrow passage with thick pipes on either side, he stopped to listen. Somewhere, metal strained and moaned like a predator defending its territory. The groan got louder and closer until it felt like it was only a few centimeters from his head. Before he could react, Lukjo pulled him back by the collar of his coat. Bago spun around to yell, but was cut off by a sharp crack as the pipe burst and sprayed seething hot gas right where he was standing. Another moment in that spot, and his face would have melted off. He looked at the native soldiers under his command. People work in these conditions? Lokjo shrugged. Yes, nur perfunduloi. Vigo shook his head. Whatever that means. Best find another way around. They climbed over a bundle of pipes and found a new path through the twisting metal and steam, all while keeping a heightened appreciation for the unusual sounds and smells around them. For a moment, he was worried about his recent charges, but he noticed that they were faster to react than he was. Faster to jump out of the way when metal screamed in protest, faster to stop and determine if a particular path was safe, and generally more aware of the hazards around them. They knew full well what existed here, but he wasn't sure why. Then he heard something that wasn't mechanical. At first, it was nearly indistinguishable from the rhythmic hisses and impacts of the machinery. But as it grew, Vago could make out stray voices along with a series of rapid footsteps on metal. He crouched behind a concrete pylon and listened. There was frantic discussion in the distance. He peeked over the concrete to see three of the forest people, Perfenduloi as the Houston called them, making for the open ground outside the refineries. They were the first of their kind that Vago had seen alive and immediately wondered what they were doing here. Of all places on the Karasan moon, why this slice of hell? Others followed fast. They had the same long face and gangly build, but they were all dressed in loose brown clothing. The type that only had two functions, to cover up any parts of the body considered indecent and to make everyone look like everybody else. From the way they ran and scrambled over the banks of metal pipe, they looked tired and thin, so much so that Vega was shocked they didn't collapse. The Houston soldiers began talking amongst themselves. Something in their tone suggested a debate that was heating up. Vago glanced around them and, satisfied that nobody had heard them yet, shushed them. Quiet. What's this about? Lokjo whispered. Perfinduloi. Job not done. Never seen Earth. But too much danger to rescue. Vago watched the last of the Perfinduloi run away. There was something sinister in the way the term rescue was thrown around. The people he saw were fleeing, and Vago got the distinct impression that they were running from whatever help the people of the city were providing. He didn't have much time to work out the situation in his mind before the wind shifted and Vago spun around. There was an added component to the air now. Aside from the chemicals and death, 
he picked up something else. Car's awful aftershave. Vago leapt over the concrete divider and yelled, On our six! Take cover! Before any of the five soldiers could react, the first shot split the air like a whip crack. The youngest, Vichello, grabbed his throat as a torrent of blood began to pour from in between his hands. The others followed Vago's example and crouched on the other side of the divider before machine gun fire followed. Vago pressed his back against the slab, even as bullets whizzed overhead, ricocheted off metal pipes, and slammed against concrete and stone. Gas hissed through new holes. In the distance, someone yelled, Stop! Stop! Sessy! Sessy! Damn it all! I told you guys to hold your damn fire! Vago recognized the voice, as surely as he recognized the smell in the air. Vago Spade! yelled Carr when the bullets stopped. Was that you I saw out there? Sergeant Carr, Vago called out. Funny seeing you here, especially since according to the treaties, you and your kind ain't supposed to be anywhere near us. Vago took a quick consensus of their situation. Four of the five, Alyssa, Lukjo, Mikello, and Jokjo, were crouching nearby. Vago put his finger to his lips, then waved his hand down to indicate they should be quiet and stay low. The funny thing about treaties is, once you break them, they do not exist, said Carr in the distance. Vigo risked a glance towards the voice. There were ten more perfenduloi among the pipes, vats, and twisted metal. They were all waving some kind of gun that couldn't possibly exist on this world. Vigo had never seen a weapon like it and, judging from the way they were being handled, neither had the people holding them. They were different from the people he just saw fleeing. These men were lean, muscular, and had a fire in their eyes. Given how they spaced themselves out through the complex, they weren't the most organized militia that ever existed, but they were far from the lawless rabble that Houston described. Vago ducked back down behind the concrete divider. So, they were outnumbered by a factor of two, and spectacularly outgunned. Never mind winning this encounter. If he got out alive at all, it would be a victory. Vago gulped. You ain't wrong, Carr. But when word of what you did gets back to Earth, it'll cause no end of trouble for the corporation. You'll probably lose Titan in the process. That may have been true had we been the ones to break the treaty, but we didn't. This is a defense action. This is us protecting ourselves from the actions of a rogue organization. Vago stole a glance again. He couldn't see Carr, but he was likely behind his own piece of cover. I don't know. I'm looking at some pretty spectacular weaponry out there. You trying to tell me they came up with those guns all by their lonesome? Carr laughed. Really? Is that what you think? Maybe you should go ask that girl Isra. Send her my thanks, by the way. Vago clenched his teeth while he muttered a torrent of profanity. Those guns... Isra brought them. Vigo wanted to believe that Carr was lying, but then he remembered the extra crates, the secrecy, and how tense she got when Vigo discovered Carr following them. Damn, Isra. What was she thinking? Jokjo groaned and slumped against the concrete divider. Vigo hadn't noticed before, but the man had an expanding wet spot in his coat. One man dead, one injured, and Vigo only had two guns. Vigo glanced at the forest people, holding the assault rifles in their long, bony arms. 
He hoped that they were as inept as they looked. Okay, Carr. You got us. No need for killing. We can talk about this. I'm alive, and you got the upper hand. I'm sure Laban don't want this any bloodier than it needs to be. Carr laughed again. Well, the boss does like to keep it clean. You and your people surrender to us right now, and we talk. Carr, I want assurances that I don't get my head blasted off if I stand. Your guys look like they got itchy trigger figures. You tell them I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up and they ain't to shoot me. Make sure they know that. Carr shouted orders in the same strange language that the natives spoke. How the hell did he learn it? Vigo leaned toward Lokjo and whispered, When I say go, y'all run. Tell him. Lokjo nodded. While the other side was still conversing, he passed word to Alyssa, Mikelo, and Jokjo. When the conversation ended, Carr said, Okay, we're all set. Now you just come out now. Vigo turned and put his hands up over the divider first. Satisfied that he didn't get his hand blown off, he started to stand. Carr stood up as well from behind the cluster of pipes. He held one of those strange guns while the forest people spread out around him. Now that Vago got a good look, they were closer to fifteen men, all armed with this rifle. He started wondering how many of those damn things these were brought, and how she could have been stupid enough to think that was a good idea. Carr aimed his gun at Vago. You alone? No. There are others with me. Soldiers from the city. Carr's eyes surveyed the area. Are they armed? Only with blunt weapons and snares. What about you? Packing two guns in my shoulder holster. Carr motioned with his gun. You take them out and throw them here. Vago glanced around and found himself looking at a whole mess of gun barrels, all being held by folk with some terrible shakes. All it would take was one bad move, and they would snap up their guns and spray the area with bullets. Vago shook his head. It's all the same to you. I'd rather someone come here and disarm me. Your guys are looking twitchy, and if I go reaching for my gun, I might end up full of holes. Carr considered this. He turned to a couple of the men and said something. They hesitated for a moment, and then started in Vago's direction. Vago remained as still as he could to avoid spooking them. He didn't move when they both got close. He didn't twitch as one, holding the rifle with one hand, went to go for Vago's gun with the other. Vago smiled. At least they were as inexperienced as they looked. A professional would never get that close. In one swift movement, Vago grabbed the barrel of the rifle with one hand and pushed it to the side. With the other, he pulled one of his handguns and fired two shots. The first went to the head of one of the gunmen standing nearby, the other into the head of the man frisking him. Then he fell back behind the concrete as every other man with a gun unleashed a storm of bullets. Vago turned and yelled at Lukjo. Go! Now! Go! Go! Then he stood just enough to see over the barricade, shouldered the rifle, and fired full automatic on Carr's position. His goal was just to spray bullets downfield and create enough violence of action to give the rest of his men a moment to escape. The gun was remarkable, though. In the initial few fractions of a second, the gun locked onto several targets and augmented the barrel to hit them. He managed to hit and kill five, no, six of them, seven with another shot from his handgun. But he only had a moment, 
and he was pushing the limits of that unit of time. The men he hadn't killed scrambled for their own cover, so he turned and sprinted as hard and as fast as he could out of the refinery complex. Bago jumped and scrambled his way through the obstacle course of steel and concrete. Once he hit open ground, he surged forward as fast as his legs and the arrow suit would allow. Lokjo was out ahead, followed by Michaelo and Alyssa helping Jokjo run. A few hundred feet into open ground, it felt like the gates of hell opened from behind them. Bago kept running, focusing on nothing but the refinery wall and the forest looming in the distance. Lukejo paused for a moment and turned to see if the rest of his people were behind him. It was a mistake. As soon as he stopped, his body erupted into a hundred little red geysers, and he fell backwards into the grass. Seeing their leader fall caused Alyssa and Jokjo to pause, either in shock or just at a loss of what to do next. Vago had a realization. Those tracking systems were amazing, but they could only do so much. In the hands of an untrained person who couldn't hit the ground if it wasn't for gravity, even the auto-track would have a time shooting a moving target. They were safe, well, safer if they kept moving. Vago headed right for Alyssa and Jokjo. He barreled into the two of them and sent them both tumbling into the grass. Vago rolled until he found a broken slab of concrete for cover. He raised his rifle and returned fire. Vago watched the forest people streaming out of the refinery through the gun sights. Unlike the blind attack earlier, Vago focused on precision. He aimed, squeezed off a few bullets, and an enemy fell. He went to the next, squeezed off a few rounds, and moved on. He managed to pick off another five before Carr screamed orders and the others sought cover. It was a shame he couldn't get Carr into his sights. Vigo took a moment to check on Alyssa and Jokjo. Alyssa knelt over her fellow soldier's body and watched in horror as Jokjo took his last breath. One of Carr's men showed himself. Vigo squeezed off a few more rounds before he turned, grabbed Alyssa, and ran for it. Michello never stopped running. One doesn't become an old soldier without knowing when the time is right to flee. He waited at the wall and helped Alyssa over. Vago helped him next and got over himself just as a few bullets slammed into the stone. Once over the wall, they charged through the forest toward the safety of the city. There was still the occasional crack of rifle fire as they sprinted through the forest, but they didn't seem to be giving chase. After a few moments... Vago felt they were safe. More people were dead, and Laban now had control of the refineries, and, frankly, he could have them. There wasn't anything on Titan worth dying over as far as Vago was concerned, and he wasn't going to try. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.